Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Schreiber. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast to the US Open. You find myself, David and Matt in the media garden at Flushing Meadows. It is 5.44pm. This is going to be a two-part podcast. We'll bring you all the news, events and drama. And there has been drama from the first half of the day in this part of the show. And then later on, we will be back to wrap up all things night session and some late day session matches as well as we speak. Felix Auger-Aliassime has just walked past us with his first round opponent Mackenzie McDonald. They are headed for court number five uh, to start their first round match and and court number five will feature prominently in this part of the show because it is the court on which fourth seed uh, Holger Rune lost Earlier on today, there goes Jennifer Brady. Did she win, Matt? She was a set-up, I know that. She must have won, because I left her in a second-set tie-break to come and do this uh, podcast. And, yeah, I think that's that's her first Grand Slam win since 2021. Big big moment for Jen, Jennifer Jenny Brady. And another theme of, of it, this half of the podcast yes, right the, there. All these people walking past us right now are really setting up the theme for part <laughs> one of day one before we get on to that i need to tell you about ao travel they are sponsoring us throughout this us open and they operate the travel program for the first grand slam of the calendar year the australian open in melbourne in january 2024 each year ao travel brings thousands of tennis fans from across the world to melbourne park to witness world-class tennis and soak up one of the world's most livable cities and uh we only do it for three weeks per year but we can very much attest to melbourne being a a livable city ao travel can take care of your flights premium accommodation tournament tickets and behind the scenes experiences so you just need to pack your bags and get ready for an incredible trip down under and new in 2024 is the ao travel lounge overlooking rod laver arena and grand slam oval not to mention the melbourne city skyline it's exclusively available to ao travel guests you can wine dine and enjoy the entertainment in this premium air-conditioned event space cannot stress air-conditioned enough that is that's a deal breaker for me (laughs) at the australian open uh for you and your fellow ao travel guests to enjoy all day and all night and if you're a friend of the tennis podcast first and foremost thank you and secondly ao travel are offering you a discount of 500 australian dollars off any premium lounge package so visit ozopentravel.com to book today that's ozopentravel.com to book today now then shall we start folks at court number five? Oh yes 
Who knew that court number five was going to be the epicentre of Flushing Meadows on day number one? Certainly not Holgaruna, who lost out there 6-4-4-6-6-3-6-2 to Roberto Carballos Baina, who was sensational today, we should say. I know he's not the story here, but that's probably the win of his life and thoroughly deserved, David. Yeah, but I mean, performance of his life certainly that I've ever seen I, I mean I, I've probably seen half a dozen of his matches that I've really taken notice of over the years and he barely missed a ball he was going toe to toe with Runa he was getting the better of him from the baseline when he was asked to come up with a shot he came up with it and I mean I think it must have meant a lot to him judging by the, the celebratory scenes I, 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 I mean either his partner or a member of his family or his wife I'm not sure who it was in the crowd was absolutely in tears upon him winning that match it clearly meant a huge amount and uh, and he was well worth the win yeah and he deserves an awful lot of credit and we we absolutely give him that credit he is well worth his position in round number two but we are now going to proceed to talk about Holger Runa for a little while because uh, it's a fourth straight loss for him first and foremost well, he's had six if you include Hotman Cup wow okay I mean it's been an absolutely horrible summer since since his unexpectedly good grass court season it's been a unexpectedly horrific hard court season yeah really bad and basically every time I've watched him he has not looked physically fit to be quite honest uh, in Certainly that was the theme of his couple of matches on the hard courts coming into this. Uh, He had to retire during one of them. Uh, Just hasn't looked physically fit. And I find that extremely worrying. I did already, and I now find it even more worrying considering the answer he he gave in his press conference. I thought that was a low-key mic-drop moment. His, I mean, there were a few of them in Holgerina's press conference. But his response to Matt's question today, I found quite shocking. Me too. Actually. What was you, the question? I, I basically said to him, every time I watch you, you seem to be injured. Have you ever considered not playing a tournament because of injury? And he said no. You were kind of asking how close have you got to not playing a lot of these tournaments? Have there been decisions that you've made? Yeah, exactly. Close to the wire? Yeah, and he said that... He said, I never... He said he has never considered not playing. He says he doesn't get scans or anything if he feels something. He just feels his own body and trusts that. He, he said, oh, some players are getting scans every time they feel something. Like, yeah, he was yeah, kind of judgy about you're it. You're a professional athlete. Mate. I mean, he's got a chance. You're a millionaire though. professional athlete. Yeah. So, I mean, like, if the scan shows nothing, then great. But why wouldn't you get stuff checked out? On one, on one level, I think, oh, what a lovely old school way to look at your career. Because that's what they used to do. But I also think, what are you doing? You know, yeah. When I consider what Andy Murray was, was telling us and in a press conference on the eve of this tournament about how many scans he had for a little tear in his app and different angles he wanted and you know surely you you listen to that i mean and and you take advantage of science and technology that is out there i mean i get that maybe he doesn't know about that stuff yet but he's got people around him who surely know what's what and know uh, tell him and him, listen, for goodness sake. I mean, I'm afraid that, you know, I, I heard about a practice session he had here with Andy Murray uh, on the eve of this tournament, and he was, uh, you know, new can of balls, and he was smashing them out of the stadium when he was getting annoyed, you know. Against, and he, was, he was doing that against Andy Murray in practice. They were, I don't know, it's just... I love his impetuous nature on one level and, and and how he doesn't care on other levels I think actually you know what you probably need to be a little bit more respectful in a situation like that and you need to be a little bit more respectful for the for the the kind of job of being a tennis player and the, and the professions of those around you who are going to advise you on what to do yeah yeah absolutely I mean I, I think he looks so jaded I think he looks shot in he was press, so tired in that really. match like, he, he had no he energy looks, in the match at all 
Yeah. He looks burnt out. Yeah. yeah, that's it. And and all of these um, injuries that he's having, or, or matches where injuries are showing up, are always preceded by the most intense workout video on social media that you have ever seen. Maybe not quite Maria Sacri level, but certainly like you know, he, he is working so hard, but it feels to me like he's working himself into the ground and if he's playing through injury he's he's making things worse and look i i have i have some sympathy as as you said he's a young player he needs people around him to be to be telling him this stuff yeah, yeah. he's a 20 year old kid yeah and, it, and not a mature and, 20 year old like that is why you in, that is why you have and, people around you and he's good enough and now wealthy enough that you know he should have the best people around him it's that thing i was talking about the other day where like his greatest strength is his appetite for it and his hunger and his desire and how much he loves it but it's also a weakness if he's if he's only going on that and not paying attention since the past warned us of that right yeah he, uh, genuinely he, he did. did wow <laughs> That was in the Australian Open, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. I, like, I like him, but he needs to he needs to calm down. <laughs> yeah. Um, I we, we all when his when his press conference was announced as being being about to begin, a lot of people trooped towards court number one, and everybody was murmuring about the tweet, the tweet, the you know the tweet with the map of the grounds, sassily saying just in case you need some help finding court five where I've been <laughs> scheduled tomorrow and I I thought the, the tweet had got so big the reaction to the tweet had got so big I thought he might really row back on it and go a bit corporate about the tweet I was wrong <laughs> excellent <laughs> he did not distance himself from that tweet at all he totally lent into the entitled brat energy <laughs> of that tweet I would say he almost doubled down Matt <laughs> yeah I, I think so uh, but again I found that like I enjoyed the doubling down and I enjoyed the owning of of the tweet but what it says about him as a person and a player I don't think is good news oh hugely alarming he he made an official complaint to the tournament about what being on court five <laughs> <laughs> sorry, who are you? Well, he that, that, said, if I was the referee, he, sorry, who are he, you? He said, when you're when you're ranked higher, you expect better playing conditions and and benefits. And he says the ATP give them to everyone, but they're not giving them to me. And I just thought he just sounded so entitled. Yeah, yeah, and he did. He said, you know, I'm a world number four, and actually that clanged a bit. I hadn't quite processed the fact that he's world number four. And okay. Well, number four on court five, it's, it's a slightly, it's a lower court assignment than I would have expected. But then, as we did on the live show yesterday, you go out, you go through who else is scheduled in court five, and you think, well, okay, he's not been past the Grand Slam quarterfinal. Very few people here in New York know who Holger Runa is. Um, and I, I mean, complaining to the tournament, he said at first they responded and explained to him that American players are a given prominence because it's an American tournament. I mean, having to explain that to him feels... They must have thought, OK, we're going to have to spell this out for him. And then he said he responded again and they just, they just didn't reply. <laughs> they did not reply to the follow-up. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's... I think it's Doomsville for certainly for twenty twenty three for Holgerin. I, yeah, I struggle. Year down, mate. I struggle to see him getting his year back on track, and he's probably going to qualify for Turin. But I just can't see him he being in so any shape. So needs a rest and just to rebuild. I mean, look, I'm afraid it is another example of the difficulties of the length of the year. But Andy Murray, I remember when he had his run at Wimbledon in two thousand and maybe five. Um, he, he said he, he just entered everything over the summer after that probably seven or eight weeks back to back because he could suddenly he's got all these opportunities that he's he's not had before and, and it's living the dream isn't it and suddenly Holger Runer is a top ten player and he's he's managed to get a win over Carlos Alcaraz and he's beaten Novak Djokovic twice and we all know what he's capable of and he loves it and he wants to play all the time and he thinks he can 
well I'm sorry you can't and if you carry on like that you're going to damage your career irreparably now I don't think he will do that I think common sense will prevail he'll eventually figure it out and look he's young I don't, I don't want to be too hard on him and I also love the fact that he just talks in press conferences mm. you know I'm kind of simultaneously criticising him and loving it but you know he's got to learn how to be a professional a yeah, bit more the, the stuff in we some love ways. might damage his career frankly I mean don't want him to become corporate runer no but really, he should have seen the reaction to that tweet and gone, I've misjudged this. Why don't I try and row back a little? And I would have been disappointed, obviously, <laughs> but it probably would have been for the best for him. Let's stay with the men's side of things while we're there. And let's head to Grandstand Court, which is where Matt and I headed for our first live tennis of the US Open 2023. And a first Grand Slam match main draw win David for Dominic Team for nearly three years Amazing. his first win here at the US Open since he won the title God. in 2020 6-3 6-2 over Alexander Bublik um, this is a tough one because we're obviously thrilled for Dominic Team. we're thrilled for tennis there is, if, if you don't want Dominic Team to to come all the way back I'm not sure how much of a tennis fan you are like just objectively it would be a good thing and it is a good thing that he's won today and I want to ask what does it all mean is this a is this a sign of that it could be starting to happen but unfortunately the absolute disgrace of Alexander Bublik today (laughs) makes it pretty much impossible (laughs) to discuss this as a serious tennis match yeah, yeah. I think that's perfectly put. Uh, Dom- you know, if we're if we're looking for the positives for Dominic Team, and you know, of course, getting that win is is a big thing. How much can we read into it? Well, he made the point in his press conference that you know, any win is kind of big for him, and he built he took confidence from all the wins that he got in Kitzbühel the other week. He takes confidence from finally getting a win at a Slam for the first time since January 2021 so undoubtedly there is a positive sort of impact that hopefully this can have on Dominic Team as he tries to get back but in terms of actually trying to grasp how well he's playing and what it might mean for the rest of his tournament almost impossible because Bublik would have lost to every single player in the draw he might have lost to David Law today (laughs) You'd have won points. We'd have probably been trying to do... You'd have won points against him today well, because... You four double faults in a row in one game? It, it wasn't in, in a game. row, but it was four double faults in a game. Right. I mean... And double faults all over the place, terrible drop shots, basically basically t- tank. From midway through the second set, it was a, it was a tank pretty much he and I would have played quite similarly I think I'd I'd, I'd also you'd have been trying your heart out I'd also have had a little stroll towards the service line as my opponent's about to serve yeah yeah I mean that was extraordinary wasn't it his sort of creep move the the creep towards the service line and then the quickly backing off just as just as they hit the ball Um, and there's a there was a moment which actually Matt and I watched most of this match from the press seats but Obviously, you can't. You're not getting the on-court microphones there, so we didn't pick this up at the time. But it's gaining quite a lot of attention on social media. Something that Bublik shouted midway through the match about rejuvenating the career. He said, "I'm fed up with." He didn't use the word rejuvenating, but the the spirit of what he was saying was, "I'm fed up with rejuvenating the career of." And these are his words: disabled players. And he's referring to. Well, we assume he was referring to losses he's now had this year to Dominic Team, Gamalfis and Stamarinka. Um, all better players than Alexander Bublik who've achieved far, far more than he has. But it's I mean, what he was disgraceful in every possible way today. That's yeah. that's long and short of it. Yeah, I mean I should I think we should say that I believe he said that in Russian and it's right. been it's been translated. Right. Uh, not you know can't be a hundred percent sure of the accuracy of it, I suppose. But team was asked about it, and he said, "You know, if he said that, that's incredibly disrespectful." And yeah, public 
who is now withdrawn from the doubles as well. He's just he's just gone. Um, Has it? Yeah, just just a horrible I mean, showing. Was, at this do time. we have any idea if he was badly injured himself or something he, like that? I don't think he was injured. No, I mean he he wears that. Um, the sleeve thing on his calf doesn't he but that he wears that all the time look he might have been feeling something but that didn't look like an injury induced performance to me he didn't call the trainer did he didn't wasn't clutching at any body part um yeah is unless he was suffering some sort of internal hemorrhage that we were unable to see there's there's not really any excuse for it's not out of character is it no precisely he's not He's not got a lot of credit stored in the bank. Um, but Dominic Team is through to the second round of a Grand Slam <laughs> and he's going to play Ben Shelton. OK. When's that? Because <laughs> I'm going to arrange my day around it. Yeah, well, Wednesday, and I would assume on a big court. Yeah, I think, I think, I think so. that's Ash. I think it's Louis Armstrong, personally. I would, that, that's fine if it is. I, th- I, think, it, I think it's Armstrong and... And I almost want it to be there. I, I mm. just feel I, I just feel like the, the, it'd be absolutely packed to the rafters. I'd be it? happy with it on grandstands, yeah. to be honest. Be fun but too. I'm, yeah. I love grandstands. Yeah. So I, I think it's going to be interesting to watch Dominic Team in a setting where he presumably won't have the crowd support. You know, I think I think one of all the things that Team has lost in his career by the fact that he's had so many injuries and been out of the game for so long and is now, you know, nowhere near the player he was, one thing he has gained is a huge wave of just support for him. Like, I don't think he's always been a fairly popular player, but, you know, people feel for him and they're pushing for him and pulling for him. And, you know, we saw in Kitzbühel how great that was when he had all that support behind him. I don't know how, how it's going to feel for him playing against an American here in New York. I, I personally don't want to see people rooting against Dominic Team, but you know, I'm sure, I'm sure he won't be taking it personally. They will be going for Shelton, but it will be a very different um, sort of occasion for him in that respect, I should think. No other major shocks in the men's draw as we come to you right now. Who knows, maybe part two will, will feature shocks. But Casper Rude did... did did have to toil today against Emilio Navas. Seven six in the fourth, he won. I think you watched some of this. I get the impression he'll need to be better in the next round when he faces Zhang Zhizhen, who I who I really rate as a player. Zhang. Mm. Yeah, he won in five, I think, today mm. against JJ Wolf. Yeah, I, I think he did well, Rude, to get to get through that match in four. To be honest, that that was tricky. Uh, Nava hit over seventy winners, and Rude hit fewer than 30 you know I know you can't read everything into that but it it sort of tells you who was dictating in that match and every time I looked up at the screen Navo was just he's got this really fast arm and he was bossing the rallies and Rude didn't look to me like he had his forehand fully firing yet I felt like he was relying on the sort of general improvements he's he's made in his game to just keep himself just a little bit of a level above Navo overall uh, and yeah, he he got through a couple of tie breaks, and the fourth set one he was down in that came up with a brilliant lob. Uh, I think that was to set up match point. So little little moments that he needed to come through. He was he was really tested there. It was a it was a it was a good match out on out on court seventeen. Mm, I think Rude Rude Jung could be a really good match. Um, Francis Jaffe safely through. He played on Ash. He beat Leonard Tian. Uh, in three straight sets, he is one kit of the tournament. Yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's a vest. It's is it teal? That it colour? is teal. Yes, so it's the same colour Matt is wearing. It is. It's sort of greeny blue, and um, it's it's really really striking. And then there's a pattern down the front, and I definitely think he's won the better half of the kit release from that particular sponsor, hasn't Agreed. he? Because there's a there's a sort of I don't really know what Holger Rune was wearing, but another version of it. That but I'm equally, I'm glad he wasn't wearing what Francis Tiafoe was wearing. Yeah, yeah. That feels like a Tiafoe-specific kit. He looked very cool, yeah. anyway. And he played... Like, it's one of those things, isn't it? Coming out onto Ash, and you're playing against, uh, I think, a, a compatriot who they're hopeful f- for things from in the future. And it's a kind of a hide into nothing, really, in terms of expectations. But Tiafoe's way of approaching it is it's another chance to to perform mm. and to, to show to show what I've got and to lap it up frankly and, and he did 
if I die here, I die here, is what Tiafo oh. said in his post-match interview on court. I've got him in the semis again. I do too. Have you? I've got him beating Tommy Paul in the quarters. That was a really tough decision. Yeah. But that's what I've gone for as well. What have you gone for, Matt? Same. But, th- but my predictions were hastily done in a subway carriage those can be the best ones <laughs> yeah well, what did you go we'll for we'll see uh, I, went, I went Tommy Paul in that one ok but has everyone got that quarter final then Tiafo Paul yes and is that in the Runa Rude kind of section yes that was seeded? I felt very sure that Runa yeah. wasn't wasn't going yeah. anywhere in this tournament Rude I had to really deliberate over whether like who would win a potential mm. rude Tiafo match? That feels very close to me. Before Tiafo on Arthur Ashe Stadium today, opening up action on Arthur Ashe Stadium, in fact, was defending champion world number one Igor Svantec, a bagel and a breadstick for her against Rebecca Peterson. I say that knowing full well Igor Svantec would hate me saying that. <laughs> I still, I wish she would find a way to sort of embrace the whole bagel breadstick thing I, I, I totally respect that she is so wary of being disrespectful yes. but I feel like there's a Acknowledge way of, it at least. a way of embracing it <laughs> without it being quite so awkward yeah. I feel like her anticipation of it being awkward is what's making it awkward she does absolutely nothing on the court to try to steer herself away from <laughs> getting them that's that's for sure I mean I, I was commentating on that match and she was six she won the first set six love in 25 minutes went off for a, a break actually came back and went immediately love 40 down and you're thinking okay she's she's maybe lost her focus a bit Peterson's a bit one-sided she's got the big forehand but really not a good backhand and then it was like she just couldn't handle that she couldn't handle giving a game away and she was ravenous to get the rest of the points in the game and she won the lot and <laughs> just held on to her serve and, and I thought you know, her appetite for just winning every single point is probably unmatched, I think, in tennis. Just at the moment, she she just will not let you have it. 19th bagel set of the year. Wow. She won 22 bagel sets in 2022. So will she make 23 in 2023? I rather suspect she will. I she might have, do it this tournament. I think that's highly <laughs> possible, yeah. Yeah, but... I do find it highly amusing that uh, Igor Svantec starts her press conference by saying, yeah, first round's usually very, very tricky. And I'm like, <laughs> are they? <laughs> You've won 32 consecutive sets in first round of slams. <laughs> I wonder what the last she said she was. Were. <laughs> she said she was particularly pleased with how she implemented the stuff that she's been working on in practice. And she really made a point about how little practice time she's had recently I think she was the subtext was the lengthening of the two week long the 1000 events to be two weeks long means she has a lot less practice time than she used to and she doesn't like that Um, so she said she feels practice time is at a premium she was really pleased with how she implemented what she's had the chance to practice on so I asked her what are those things, Eager? She said she didn't want to disclose trade secrets. Could you tell, David, what she might have been working on in practice? What was in evidence? I was really impressed with her forehand today, um, personally. I mean, I suppose when I watch it in, in real life, not on the TV, I'm always taken by her incredible movement and the, and the sort of violent action and how similar that forehand looks to Nadal's. You know, that brush up the back and the, the lasso around the top of the head and all the rest of it. Um, it just felt felt like she was getting in the right position for everything. And, and even, even good shots coming her way were going back with interest. I saw one nice backhand drop shot that oh, she right. hit in the second set, I think it was. And I suddenly had this recall of when Igor Svantec came on the scene... I definitely would have described her as a player who played with variety. That was yeah. that was definitely a feature of her play. Contemporaries would say that, wouldn't right. they? 
right way back you know when you know 2019 2020 i think of Egish film tech as playing with variety but what i do remember is uh last year when she started working with thomas vitkarovsky the big sort of line that she would give in terms of what he had brought to her game was being ruthless and being really aggressive and hitting that forehand as, as David described and I don't know I feel like if she is to maybe improve even more and get even better I do think bringing back some of that variety might be helpful like I, I think of some of the losses she's had you know against Coco Goff recently and Jessica Bagula it tends to be she loses points because she just keeps going for it and just keeps doing kind of the same thing and I don't know I feel like maybe adding some change of pace and variety into a game would help her in those sorts of matches I have absolutely no idea whether that's what she's working on I'm clutching at one backhand drop shot that I saw but hey, I, it, it did just it's all, it was I, like, it's all I've got my, she won't tell she me she won't tell us so we'll, so we'll fill the void and speculate <laughs> but it would you know maybe that's something something to keep an eye on uh, well that was happening over on Armstrong, Matt, you were watching what's been the match of the day so far? Beatrice had Admire beating Sloane Stevens 6 2, 5 7, 6 4. I watched bits and bobs of this. Was it was it as good as I'm making out? It was really good. Yeah, it was it looked a really, very intense. It was. It was. It, I think uh, Haddad Meyer brought out my, my favourite Sloane Stevens, which is intense Sloane Stevens. You know, she's so smooth and almost languid at times makes makes the sport look so easy but when you when you combine that with an intensity it makes for for an incredible watch and she wrestled that second set off Haddad Meyer then I ran I literally sprinted out from Ash to Armstrong in an attempt to get there for the first game of the final set you know I didn't want to miss three games uh did get there in time because there were bathroom breaks and changes of outfits um, and then there was a little lull from Stone Stevens at the start of the third set, and Haddad Meyer broke. Then Stone Stevens got it back, and then she had another lull. And I just think you can't afford to have those lulls against Haddad Meyer, who is intensity list all the time. And she was just kept bringing it, and Stone Stevens was bringing it sometimes. And that, that to me, felt like the difference, really. A very tough draw for Stone Stevens, obviously, but tough draws didn't didn't used to matter or you feel like they shouldn't matter for Stone Stevens because she can be so good um, but yeah fabulous match great noise on on Armstrong as, as Stevens was was making her comeback lots of support for her had admire as well lots of Brazilian football shirts dotted around the stadium uh, and yeah just a very common Grand Slam experience had admire in a third set epic in the first week I've seen like I feel like that's a feature of all of our Grand Slams at the moment. She's a banker for drama and intensity and entertainment mm. at the moment, isn't she? She's a good ticket, Beatrice said Admire. Um, we had Maria Sakkari going out of a Grand Slam in the first round for the third consecutive slam today. This loss to Rebecca Matarova in two straight sets, not actually a, a hugely close match. We were doing all the jokes about how Sakari was a set and a breakdown. She's got her right where she wants her. And the defiance never came. Um, she's only won two Grand Slam matches this season. I didn't see a lot of the match itself. I was following it on live scores while out on grandstand watching Dominic team. But I did go to Maria Sakari's press conference and it was a tough scene. I, I know Maria Sakari is someone that feels her feelings and wears her heart on her sleeve but I've never seen her quite like that before she was not only very upset but she was despairing really she was at a loss as to what was going on she said you know I obviously need to do something different and I sort of pressed her on that a little bit I said do you have any idea what that might be because it it's not effort right you can't try any harder and she she sort of gave that a knowing nod like yeah that's exactly it I I can't it's not lack of effort here I'm doing everything I possibly can and I feel like I'm going backwards and that must just feel horrendous and feel quite sorry her for last her, words yeah. at the press conference were she's going to consider taking a break she said I might 
I might take a break, I don't know. She said she didn't feel like her mind was clear enough right now to make that decision. But I think that might be the decision she ends up making, and I kind of hope it is. That That isn't a player that's kind of fit for the tour right now. And, I, I and don't it's, think it's a tough section of the tour if you've had a really dispiriting few grand slams and you're her ranking you've got to rebuild and I don't know that I think that's a slog the next mm. few months and I, I don't know and, if and her ranking will soon plummet she'll she'll stop being seeded she could stuff, do with you know. being an underdog though she I was thinking well, exactly. on the lower yeah. saying, David, that, that yeah, we were name drop but we do drop this name all the time. We were talking to Pam Shriver, and she said something really interesting, which was the fact that chasing the top is exhausting. Pam said, I was in that position for years. You know, not quite at the top, but it was within sight, and I was trying to get there, trying to get there, and, you know, couldn't quite make it. And Zachary has been in that position for a long time now, and her, her ranking this year hasn't reflected her performances you know she you know four straight losses in slams three straight first round exits she's not playing like a player who is who is ranked where she is and actually I, I agree I think if she has to take a break and that may well be the best thing coming back as a bit more of an underdog maybe with a bit less expectation in the sort of macro sense of what we say she's like in matches where she plays better when mm. she's behind and an underdog that might that might help it won't be easy to climb the rankings again there's so many good players but it might be a it might be a easier mental space to be in I suppose I hope so because it was really really distressing and harrowing seeing yeah. seeing that I really really felt for her yeah yeah I, I, I think that's a really good point um, a few other women's results from this first half of the day Rebecca Cruz a lot of people thought that would be tough fair against Marta Kostyuk but Kostyuk was all over the place today she didn't seem happy at all she was dressed as a tennis ball maybe maybe that was part of the problem I, do, I mean I I typically love Marta Kostyuk's kits and I know she plays a big part in designing them doesn't she but this one was quite fluoro um, <laughs> <laughs> but we won't be seeing it again because, uh, yeah, Rabakina wasn't tested today. Difficult to draw any conclusions, really, about where she and her shoulder are at. Carolina Mukova, uh, Victoria Zarenka, Belinda Bencic, Daniel Collins, all safely through with no dramas at all, really. Just wanted to flag that Collins looked particularly good against uh, Linda Fravitova on Grand Court, and she's a potential opponent for... Coco Goff in the third round. I won't say too much more on that because obviously Coco Goff hasn't played yet. We'll be covering her match in the second half of the show. So just in case Goff loses, let's not discuss that in detail. But as much as I have predicted Coco Goff to win this tournament, I do think that's a danger. Yeah, fired up Danielle Collins playing like this in round three. Yeah, Yeah. when she's on, she's a threat to most players. Yeah. So, Coco Goff coming up in part two, as is Novak Djokovic. They headline the night session on Arthur Ashe Stadium tonight. They play after a opening ceremony which will celebrate the 50th anniversary of equal prize money. Billie Jean King is involved. We'll be watching. We can't wait. Over on Armstrong, uh, Milos Raonic takes on Stefanos Tsitsipas, Caroline Wozniacki in action. We will be back with part two to wrap up all of that and anything else that goes on on court number five which is of course where it's at on day one at the u.s open back in a mo burrow's furniture is built for the way you live from ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating they always have their customers in mind their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you and with burrow you always get fast free shipping Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. We're back, folks, and by we, I mean myself and Matt Roberts, because David Law is still at the Billie Jean King National Tennis Centre, and he is commentating on Novak Djokovic, who, despite the fact that it's 14 minutes past midnight, is still on court. He's doing his best to catch up the clock, though. Uh, six love, six two, one all against poor Alexandra Muller, of France, the um, the prey for mm. this evening. Um, I, I mean, extremely difficult, Matt, to draw any conclusions about how Novak Djokovic is playing on the basis of this, other than he looks darn good. <laughs> yeah, I feel like we've seen Novak Djokovic in this situation quite a lot recently. Like, he's not against the clock tonight in the way that he was at Wimbledon a, a few times, but I think he's against the sort of own clock that he himself has probably set. You know, he doesn't want to be here in the middle of the night playing Alexandra Muller if he can avoid it. And I don't know, it feels like seeing Djokovic in a slightly new light. I don't associate urgency with Novak Djokovic generally. His matches tend to be quite drawn out and, you know, slow often. But well, hang on. We might have redefined slow tonight. Look, it was a deliberate word choice. <laughs> right. OK, let's get to the heart of the matter, shall we? Because the reason that Novak Djokovic is still on court at quarter past midnight is, well, I mean, the primary reason is is tennis. Um, it's not unusual for tennis still to be on at quarter past midnight. Of course it's not. But the <laughs> the specific reason for it tonight is because the first match of the evening on the Arthur Ashe Stadium was Coco Goff beating Laura Siegmund of Germany 3-6, 6-2, in two hours and 51 minutes. A, a circus <laughs> of a tennis match. I know opinions on this match will vary quite widely i have lots but not of, on this podcast not on this <laughs> podcast and i think we can confidently say that if david were here he'd be agreeing with us mm. oh i watched this match feet away from david right. and he was living for it we loved it yeah we absolutely loved it i know you were watching with mary carillo's commentary she was alongside Lindsay davenport i was watching the espn coverage so i had christy ever and i had Pam Shriver, courtside, that was fantastic. Um, I know Mary didn't love it so much. I think she found it just tough. Tough was the word I think she used. And maybe if we had been commentating, we'd have found it tough as well. And look, (laughs) I'm not saying (laughs) that Laura Siegman's behaviour wasn't absolutely egregious (laughs) in many different respects tonight. I'm just saying, for me... It was all, as a neutral observer, not having to be down the other end of the court from her, I it was right in the sweet spot of circus mm. and aggro for me. Yeah, me too. We watched that match basically as, as tennis fans, and I was, I was hugely entertained by it. Uh, I, think, I think what 
Mary was a bit frustrated by was the fact that it became about something other than the tennis. And I think that was frustrating for Mary because for the first set in a bit, it was all about the tennis and it was really, really interesting. You know, Siegmund was being slow and you know, taking all her time and running the serve clock down down to zero, even in that first set. But it wasn't the story of that first set. The The story was the incredibly good and incredibly smart tennis that Siegmund was playing, uh, coming to the net so much, playing the match on her terms against Coco Goff, who I didn't think played a terrible set, played a terrible final game of the set. And, you know, the forehand was was making some errors and there was a slightly uneasy feeling about sort of, oh no, we've all we've all talked Coco Goff up. She's coming in such good form. Is she going to lose in the first round? Siegmund was playing that well that it, it genuinely was a possibility at that stage. But Lindsay Davenport said something in commentary which was, well, if Siegmund played all her matches like this, she wouldn't be having to qualify. Which was a tremendous line. And also, I think you know, a really good read on the match that it probably wasn't likely that Siegmund's form was going to last for another set playing like that. It, it always felt like Goff would get a moment, a chance, and it all it all turned, I think, tennis-wise and the, and the feel, the atmosphere, the mood of the match in that just extraordinary game to start the second set um, where Coco Goff had so many break points before finally breaking. I think I think it was about a 25-minute game in the end, maybe longer. Um, and it just all flipped there. Goff managed to sort of take Siegmund's legs away for a while. And then I think Siegmund knew that she had to to revert even more to the to the dastardly dark arts. And she did. She lent into those from that moment on. Mm, so dark so dark dark. as the new york night (laughs) uh yeah i i I was seriously my moment of serious concern for coco goff because as you say i don't don't think the story of that first set was her playing that badly um but the way she conceded her serve to lose that opening Mm. set was limp and quite shocking to me, actually. Dumped a, dumped a forehand in the net, just surrendered. Surrendered that first set extremely meekly. And there was this eerie silence around the crowd. And I thought, hang on, like, okay, your opponent's inspired. She's annoying. You're not having your best day, but where's the fight? Um, and, of course, that ended up being completely forthcoming. It was just a moment of of um of out of character flatness i suppose but i was for that moment really seized by panic on on coco goff's behalf but um yeah she managed to find it in the end and i'm sure the dark arts helped her find it i mean to be clear on just how dark those arts were i mean we're watching novak djokovic right now and he and and rafael nadal have kind of redefined time taken between points i think our tolerance Mm. as a tennis watching public of time taken between points without us really noticing it has increased massively over the course of the last 15 years and yet i've never seen anybody push it the way laura siegman was because she wasn't just absolutely maxing out on the time in between points, running down that clock, literally waiting till it hit zero to start her motion. But then she developed this extraordinary service motion. Mm, glacial. Which involved holding her her sort of ready position of racket and ball out in front of her. For I, I mean, there were times when I thought the TV had frozen, <laughs> honestly. And... The umpire who, look, I don't think she had a perfect night tonight, but I I do think she was dealing with pretty something pretty unprecedented, which was that Laura Siegman changed her service motion. She doesn't do that usually. She's not a quick player, but she doesn't do that. That was a tactic mm. against Coco Golf, who likes to play quickly, 
Laura Siegmund is a total disruptor. Her her A game is get under the opponent's skin, irritate them, and P.S. she is expert at it. <laughs> um, but it was it was a very strange one for Mariana Valjevich to have to deal with because she was operating the service clock, and Laura Siegmund was starting her motion just about on zero every time, which is hard to punish. You know, mm. Novak Djokovic's ball bouncing isn't isn't included in the time between points. It's counted as part of the motion, and yet that in itself can go on for so long. But to say that she was taking the piss with it <laughs> would be just... A gr- I mean, I was bursting out laughing yeah. watching it, and the, what you have in the ESPN coverage is you had Patrick McEnroe Chrissy Everett in the booth, but you had Pam courtside, and her mic is is always live, so she can <laughs> she can interject um, whenever she feels appropriate, and she's fantastic at it. You know, just the right amount of of input, but the best input of the lot was <laughs> during the most extended service motions. You just hear, <sighs> <laughs> and it was Pam. It was. Fantastic. Mm. And eventually, that was Coco Goff as well. Like, I think she really kept it together for a good good portion of that match and then just snapped. She had had enough of Laura Siegmund and what halfway caused, that And what set. caused her to snap was Laura Siegmund doing it on Coco Goff's serve. She was trying to hold up. Got yeah, by going serving. over to the towel and yeah, just taking all is, the time she could possibly take. You know, the rule is you play at the service pace. And it, I thought Coco Goff, it, given the level of fury she must have been experiencing, I thought she expressed herself brilliantly. She was like, look, she can do whatever she likes on her own serve. I get that. But you play at the service yeah, pace. Yeah, she said, this- on my serve, she has to be ready. And it was like, period. And, <laughs> yeah. Note to self, don't get in an argument with Coco Goff because she will <laughs> she will put you away. Well, except she said after the match uh, in the press conference, she said, you know, I'm not a confrontational person um, and I really didn't want to have to do that. But it just, she just <laughs> reached that point of, of no return. And it was at that point, she had been in total control of the match. It was at that point that there was just a little wobble mm. yeah, it was in that deciding set. So I don't know. I, I don't. I don't want to read too much into the fact that that happened because my read on it is those were extremely exceptional circumstances. I don't see Coco Goff being. I don't see Coco Goff's inability to control her temper or keep a lid on her emotions being a potential thing that could hold her back in the future no she's not playing Laura Siegmund every match this was very (laughs) very specific very keen for them to play again oh yeah (laughs) at the soonest possible opportunity um what's your take on this match and what it means for Coco Goff this tournament um my feeling is and obviously I speak as somebody that has predicted she'll win the tournament so everything (laughs) is is colored by that lens but Coco Goff's new thing, the new thing that's clicked with Brad Gilbert and over the course of this summer is kind of the same thing that clicked for Igor Svantec at the start of last season, which is I don't have to play my best. Being a perfectionist is actually holding me back. My B game can be good enough. Let's let's look at the floor rather than the ceiling. That's what makes champions. And I thought tonight was further proof of concept for that, for Coco Goff, further proof of how she can problem solve. Okay, there was a lot of input from the sidelines tonight tactically. And I actually thought tonight was a a really good advert for courtside coaching um, in that, you know, for me, obviously, language-wise, it helped that we could understand everything that, that Brad Gilbert was saying. But... You could hear really clearly what he was telling her to do and see her putting it into action. And it was, it really enhanced my mm. viewing experience. Come to the net, 
take the net away from her. Yeah. Lob. For goodness sake, Coco, hit some lobs. <laughs> Lo and behold, she becomes a lobbing machine and it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And, 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 and those were the two big differences, the way she managed to take the net away from Siegmund a bit in that second set. And then when Siegmund was at the net, coming up with the lobs... Uh, and I'm always so impressed when a when a player manages to problem solve. That's that's largely what I'm looking for, I suppose, in a in a tennis player when I'm watching them. Can you adjust? Can you adapt? You know, Billie Jean King, champions adjust. Um, so I think from that point of view, very very impressive. I think you can read more into that than you know if she just won really straightforwardly tonight and. She said that on court, didn't she? She said she wasn't pleased with how she played, but she was pleased that she made it through. And I think, you know, there was there was a real chance that she didn't come through that match tonight because, cannot stress enough, Siegmund was playing so well and then just such a pest. So very impressive, I think, I think from Coco Goff. Uh, and she she meets Mira Andreva in a mm. in a match that we thought would happen in the second round and it will Andreva also winner in three sets tonight mm. sign me up for that mm. one I rather suspect that'll be first night session match I think so, think so. on uh, Arthur Ashe Stadium in two days time um, following Coco Goff and Nora Siegmund onto court was the much anticipated opening ceremony which this year honoured the 50th anniversary of equal prize money being awarded uh, at a tournament for the first time at the US Open here in 1973. Although, as Chris Evert was very right to point out in commentary, it wasn't it wasn't the US Open that stumped up that prize money. It was Billie Jean King going out and finding a commercial sponsor. Mm-hmm. It was it was Bristol Myers, wasn't it, that that stumped up that prize money? And the US Open said, "Okay, well, if you got the money." <laughs> Then, then sure, we'll we'll agree to it. Um, but look, it's more than anybody else was doing at the time. So don't don't want to take too much away. I just think it's a, a an important note about the history of it all. Matt, you were in the stadium for the ceremony for Billie Jean King, for Michelle Obama, for Sarah Barrales. That's one of those names that I've only ever. Yes, they, I've never heard it said out loud. They before. said uh, Sarah Bareilles. Did they? Mm. That's what I thought it was, but I thought they were saying Sarah Bareilles. Oh man, <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait for our mentions in the morning. Um, yeah, I, be- I, I, of course, you're right. Um, what was it all like? I mean, I watched it on the TV, but. Do you know, it was just, I think, the most tennis evening possible because so much of it was was good and great. And, you know, we had this amazing women's match, Coco Goff and Laura Siegman had entertained everyone for three hours. It was It was fantastic. And it was on the biggest stage in the sport. You know, there's a, there's a long way to go for women even in tennis to get the treatment that they deserve but they do get better stage and better treatment in tennis than in a lot of other sports and that was showcased tonight and then we had this incredibly important powerful ceremony with Billie Jean King and Michelle Obama both both giving incredible speeches and saying such important things They, they, they were both just note perfect as as they would be, um, and and yet then, because it was tennis, it was all happening at half past ten at night, and it felt like it was having to be a bit squeezed in and a bit rushed. I mean, you've never seen a red carpet laid so quickly and a piano assembled so quickly, and so many people on hand needed to do all of those things, um, <laughs> and. Yeah, then it was made a little... No, it was nice, actually, the the singing and Sarah Bareilles. It was, you know, it was a great performance and it was all it was all nice. But there was just this feeling of, well, there's another match to go. And in particular, and, and this it's... weird feeling that it's a men's match now. You know, we're celebrating women and we're celebrating yeah. equal prize money. And 
now we've got yeah. a best of five set men's match. It all it just slightly felt a little bit off, you know, when when it should have been yeah. so right. It should have, like to me, they could have even extended that ceremony and had that an A match as as today's session, night session, uh, or two women's matches, it, but. Agreed. Yeah, um, and look, I didn't, I didn't think of it ahead of time when I when the schedule came out for today. Yeah, me neither. I didn't, but then, you know, I, I wasn't on the organising committee. I'd like, you know, it, yeah, I don't want to come down too hard on them, but equally, as, as soon as as soon as the whole thing started, it suddenly clanged. I was like, no, no, this isn't this isn't right. That I know Novak Djokovic <laughs> and Alexandra Muller. <laughs> waiting in the wings to to follow Michelle Obama and Billie Jean King uh, onto the court. It just, it's not terrible. It just feels like a real missed opportunity. Yeah. I think. Um, but it was good, the ceremony. It, it really Apart was. Apart from a slightly odd moment with glasses, it was, yes. <laughs> it was really good, I think. Oh, yeah. It, and it really was. There's no need to speak of the glasses. Ever again. Moment. Ever, ever again. <laughs> uh, Novak Djokovic does look well on the way to victory. Of course, we'll be back with an addendum if the world's most extraordinary comeback happens from Alexandra Muller. But pretty confident that uh, you won't be hearing from us again tonight. Um, no other major upsets. Felix Auger-Aliassime lost to Mackenzie McDonald in four sets. We all thought that would happen. It's a tough scene for yeah. for Felix just now. Yeah, and I was trying to keep as close an eye on this match as I could to just try and really judge how Auger scene was playing. Because I don't feel like I've watched him that much because just because he's been not playing that much because he's been losing so early in tournaments. And overall, I didn't think he was playing too badly and it was a pretty high quality match I felt against Mackenzie McDonald but it was just a classic case of a player short on confidence you know whenever whenever he got into a kind of big moment mm. that was when the errors came and he had he had 13 break points in the match only managed to convert one of them and in the in the final game he had three break back points to you know, to extend the fourth set and just made errors on on all of the break points, having set them up really well. You know, and in the end of the first set, he he double faulted on set point. You know, it was just it was things like that. The difference was McDonald was better when it mattered, and that that so often is the story of of tennis, I suppose. And Auger-Aliassime just looks completely shot of of confidence. You know, compare him to the guy we saw at the end of last season, who was winning titles and three titles in a row yeah and then helping canada win less the, than a year ago win the davis cup he was wow. stepping up in all the big and he felt so secure you trusted him mm. it's it's the complete opposite now really really tough to see it'd be interesting uh to watch that space and see if the coaching relationship with tony nadal persists i'm not saying tony's to blame but he clearly needs a jolt that's yeah. the word of the moment, isn't it? Maybe a break and a jolt. Who knows? Uh, Caroline Wozniacki won on her return to the US Open on Armstrong. And Stefanos Tsitsipas won on Armstrong as well. Took care of so, Milos Raonic very handily. Honestly, second straight year where Stefanos Tsitsipas has played a night session match on the opening day <laughs> of the US Open. And it has totally passed me by. <laughs> I saw the post-match interview where he looked... He just looks like he's in a daze at the moment, yeah. doesn't he? I mean, he always has done at the best of times. But anyway, we but, don't yeah. have time. To- I haven't got any Sitsidosa no. gags. It's <laughs> too late for that. I've, I'll spare you. I was a little bit worried about this match for him, given the record against mm. Raonic. I think it's a pretty emphatic scoreline. I think he was a breakdown in in the third set, but managed to recover it pretty straightforwardly. Uh, yeah, just just the sort of win that he needed, I suppose. Yep, absolutely. He trucks on to round number two. We have the remainder of the round one matches to come tomorrow. Daniel Medvedev opens up Ash, then it's Jessica Pagula, Venus Williams, first in the night session, and then Carlos Alcaraz. Armstrong is Jabur, then Madison Keys, John Isner playing what could be 
His last uh, ever singles match, last on the day session uh, on Armstrong tomorrow, and then Yannick Sinner and Arena Sabalenka are in the night session. The best matches of the day tomorrow are out and about around the grounds. Grandstand opens with Alexandrova against Fernandez, which I think could be fun. And then it's Andy Murray against Corentin Mute. <laughs> Rinka against Nishioka, also on Grandstand tomorrow. That's good fun. Uh, look, there's good stuff. It's good. It, good day to have a grounds pass tomorrow. Court five is Caroline Garcia against... Uh, Wong Ye Fan, and we think that could be an upset if it even is an upset just now. Who knows? But uh, Rublev Rusevori over there as well. Good stuff. Greeks poor against Fees. We know where David will be <laughs> at uh, 11 a.m. tomorrow. Court number 10 for that. Uh, so lots to look forward to on day two. We'll be there. David will be there. We will all be back tomorrow for our day two podcast brought to you in association with AO Travel throughout the fortnight. We have our mascot for the fortnight and that is lovely Willow. Hello, Willow. We have our mascots. I've got Xenia. David's got Maisie and Matt has Darwin. Sorry, Dave, Darwin, bad stuff. David usually says, hello, Maisie, at this point. He does. He does, yeah. And he'll be doing that tomorrow when he'll be back. <laughs> uh, Billie Jean is sponsored by Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss. It's never felt cooler to say that <laughs> than tonight. We have our top folks and executive producers, Jamie, Hannah and Drew. And we don't have shout-outs because what is a shout-out without David Law? We wouldn't want to disappoint any of you who have paid your hard-earned money for a tennis podcast shout-out and you want your name uh, to be likened to someone obscure from the 90s. Exactly. Exactly. So, shout-outs will be back tomorrow, as will David, as will we, as will the tennis. It'll probably be going on till 2am, but that's... It's what we came for, folks. Yeah, I mean, we're already in tomorrow, aren't we? It is already tomorrow. (laughs) You know it's a grand slam when we're saying things like that. Thanks for listening. We'll speak to you later today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 